ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Rock, 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 Rock and Roll podcast. Check out this record. My name is Mark, and with me as always, my good buddy, check out this Frank. Hey, 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 Mark. I'm happy to be here in this moment, right now, with you, my man. I'll say it again. I'm happy to be here in this moment with you, my good friend. Listeners keeping score at home know that Frank's on drugs. <laughs> like go. my mother. Uh, no, wait, hold on. Wait, 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 hold on. Keeping score at home, like my mother. Your mother's you not on drugs. <laughs> on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, and wherever else you find high quality premium podcasts. But when on earth, I don't know why I wrote this like that. But um, but when on earth do these podcasts drop? You may be asking yourself. And that's a great question, Mark. And, I, and I'm so happy that you asked. And brand new episodes drop for your listening pleasure. So be sure to check us out on YouTube. And while you're at it, hey, this is not the most produced show out there, but you know it's organic and you're going to want to grow. That's as right. We, as we grow. That's right. Uh, we get rounder and rounder each week. So you'll want to tune in to see which one of us pops like a balloon first. Uh, now for our new listeners out there, uh, welcome, welcome. Um, you're locked into the podcast where Frank and I recommend albums to each other, pull classics out of dusty old bins, find hidden gems tucked in the back of dingy record stores and give honest, sarcastic, and genuine reviews of those records. Uh, we have a wide variety of musical discussions like our Spotlight series, where we'll dig into a band's catalog and see what comes out on the other side. That's right. Or in our Versus series, where we pit two albums against each other and they duke it out for total stereo domination. Which we need to do one of those soon, by the way. Uh, don't worry, buddy. Uh, I've got a few tricks up the old sleeverinos. Uh, now, be sure to check us out on Instagram and our Facebook group, which we promise we will start using again soon. Um, you know, Frank drops a lot of random nonsense and I've got all this musical goodness that you're gonna wanna hear. Now, this is really important. If you've got a record you want us to check out, just drop us a line wherever we find us. Frank checks the email so you'll know you'll get a nice positive review or response, not a review. And you might get a good review. Uh, it depends <laughs> on what you write. Um, while you're at it, subscribe and give us a review and a rating um, because, hey, man, that's that's what this is all about. Tell your friends. So uh, I'm going to say this. Frankie, how are you, my man? Hey, Mark. You know, I'm good. I'm really good. And you know what? Looking back at this album that we're going to talk about and this band, uh, it, it's interesting and challenging, I think, to go back and try to recollect my thoughts as to where I was when I first heard of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, when this fifth album, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, came out, I mean, so much was being thrown at us with these alternative bands and then, you know, taking over really the radio at the time and and the MTV videos, you know, by storm, all those MTVs jumping on all those videos. Uh, so for me, if I had a bet right now, I would say that seeing that Under the Bridge video, that's what introduced me to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mark, what say you? I wouldn't be surprised if that's that's how they were introduced to me as well. However, um, when I was 12, uh, my family took uh, what I believe to be our last family vacation, uh, and we went up to Massachusetts for the summer. And while we were staying with one of my mom's friends, I discovered uh, this album in her son's CD collection. Now, this album happens to be Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. And I don't remember why they gave a 12 year old a copy of that cd or, or really let me ransack that dude cd uh collection um but i played the shit out of this thing over that summer um i just like it reminds me of the fourth of july it reminds me of fireworks uh over the charles river right before the the boston pops played it was really cool um you know i, I just listened to this thing like non-stop that entire summer it, it was awesome uh however stylistically i've moved on uh, significantly from the funk rock thing. Um, so revisiting this was a fun experience, but but putting the nostalgia aside, uh, I had to decide if it actually still uh, held up, if I liked it, or, um, or or if it's just that, if it's just nostalgia. So it, it's a tricky one, but um, yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. 
Yeah, Mark. And, and those are some cool memories and I'm glad you, you shared them for sure. And Thank I think you. you bring up a very, very important uh, aspect to kind of this whole thing that we do here. And frankly, frankly, it's difficult. It's very, very difficult. So you have the nostalgia and the memory factor versus, let's be honest, the reality of it all when it comes to an album like this. And that's something you definitely have to sit and uh, sort out. Uh, so Blood Sugar Sex Magic, this is their fifth album. I mean, that's a catalog and a half really before this monster of an album came out. I'm not going to lie and I'm not going to say I was familiar with those records from front to back, but we do see some heavier riffs that are gone and introduced as more melodic playing uh, in, in the tunes that we're going to hear. Uh, now, Rick Rubin, of course, is behind the controls here and gives that album that big and clean feel. But Mark, any of those previous albums or songs, did they, did they stick out for you? You're asking me about Yurtle the Turtle, aren't you? Of course I am. (laughs) We're just kidding. Like I said, uh, in my early teens, I was absolutely in love with the Chili Peppers. But as far as these the the albums previous to this one, I'm really I'm really only knowledgeable. My God, is my tongue tied tonight um, about Mother's Milk? Um, Thanks to what was their their first hit, the cover of Stevie Wonder's Higher Ground. Higher Ground. Um, and, And I but. In all honesty, I didn't get to that album until after I got to Blood Sugar Sex Magic. It was a weird time. Um, it was their fourth album. Uh, the first album with John Frusciante, that is Mother's Milk, um, taking over on guitar after founding member Hill Slovak uh, died and Chad Smith. You mean Will Ferrell? Yeah, taking over on the drum <laughs> uh, after the subsequent departure of uh, drummer Jack Irons. Uh, I don't think he OD'd. I think Jack just uh, left. Um, The big change here being uh, the guitar style of Fushante. His influence would would push the band to focus more on melody rather than rhythm, uh, which had dominated the the previous three albums. And that's, you throw any of those on and you'll you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Um, What's really noteworthy here is that the producer of Mother's Milk, uh, Michael Beanhorn, uh, favored heavier guitar tones and wanted to focus on overdubbing. Um, Fashante and, and Beinhorn would clash during the recording process, which is likely the reason to bring Rick Rubin in for the follow-up, um, allowing John to focus on that less uh, heavy sound uh, and more on melody. So that said, Mother's Milk uh, was a gold record. It peaked at number 52 on the U.S. Billboard uh, Top 200 pretty impressive for a record with just one hit really on it. Um, and that would really set the band up for blood sugar, sex magic. Yeah, totally sets the tone. And and now let's focus back to the album at hand where we have blood sugar, sex magic, which peaked at number three on the same U S billboard top 200 chart. You get 17 big funky, fresh tracks, which tucked among them were monster hits under the bridge, give it away, suck my kiss and breaking the girl. Frank, you want to know what I think is the coolest bit of trivia about this record? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so the band sought to record the album in an unconventional setting, right? Believing it would in- enhance their creative output. Uh, so Rick Rubin suggested the mansion of magician and escape artist Harry Houdini, uh, to which the band agreed. Uh, the Peppers uh, decided they would live at the mansion for the duration of the record. Though, according to, to Anthony Kiedis, Smith was convinced that the location was haunted uh, and refused to stay, which is really funny because at the end of Houdini's life, um, he spent a lot of his time trying to debunk psychics and prove that ghosts weren't real, um, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. So Chad Smith uh, disputes this. He said he just wanted to, to be at home with his wife. Um, however, uh, John Fashante uh, disagreed and said that uh, there are definitely ghosts in the house, uh, but they were, quote, very friendly. He'd go on to say, uh, we have nothing but warm vibes and happiness everywhere we go in the house. Wow. So, Mark, do, do you believe in ghosts? Just the ones in my head, Frank. Um, oh. Why, why don't I? That's a joke about me. Um, <laughs> why don't you kick us off with the first track from Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic with a K? The power of equality. Yep. So right off the bat, 
Track one, Power of Equality. We get this funky rock tune that's the showcase for really what the majority of the album is about. Listen, the message is clear. I don't think we need to go into that, so I want to keep it more on the music. You get a clean and chorus-laden guitars, edgy rap-style singing, a bass riff that really sticks out. I, I like Frashanti's playing here, and I'm not going to say um, this... Um, you know, I'm going to say this, I should say, a few times during the episode, uh, but when I watched uh, some of the live performances, the lightness, though, of the guitar is drowned out by the heavy and pronounced bass. So I think that something that might lose its edge once played live. For the song overall, I like it. I do wish they would try to do more with the chorus to make it memorable. I, there's a lot of focus here on the verses uh, to make that stand out, but I would like more choruses and the chorus on this song to stand out. But that's the opening track, Power of Equality. What about track two, Mark? Yeah, if you have to ask, Frank, uh, I will. is the name of the song. Uh, so for all the hits on this record, uh, you get a filler song. So it's pretty one for one. And then you get like half a deep track, you know, like mathematically you get like, 0.5 of a song. Um, this, unfortunately, is a filler song. Um, Already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, musically, this is a bit of uh, what Frank just described as power of quantum, right? We get the bass funking along, the guitar is clean, but tends to end up getting hidden behind the bass, and the drums are just kind of grooving along. Uh, lyrically, I mean, if you have to ask. Um, well, it's because, like me, you're pretty sure this song's really about nothing and it doesn't mean any damn thing uh, which is fine because most of his lyrics are either deeply personal or just total jibber jabber um you know it's just kind of a funky jam but we get a pretty cool solo out of Hishante uh towards the the, the close of the song uh what's well, not actually the close of the song it's because they kind of like deconstruct and like each instrument kind of falls apart just so that they can do uh, a transition into the next song breaking the girl right Right. So a song I'm sure most know out there released as the fourth single from this album. I, I like the complex rhythm and, and the building up to, to hear the climax after two funky rock songs. To me, this style is definitely welcomed. Uh, I really think the lyrics are strong and well thought out. We get a 12 string sound here, too, which really helps stickens things up. Uh, and Mark, as we discussed um, and you brought up, I think, a really cool point. This may be a blueprint for what's to come. Uh, and that's a good segue into your thoughts uh, of the tune yeah and and we'll get into uh this again when we talk about under the bridge but here we have a, a song based around anthony Kiedis poetry and less about the the band's uh, original jam session when they were writing the album and you can really feel uh the lyrics um at the soul of this song and that the band really understood what it meant See, it's an interesting thing with the red hot chili peppers right when anthony Kiedis writes something um for himself it tends to be like these really cute little or pretty poems. Uh, and when he writes for the band, he's trying to be big and loud. He's trying to, to, to display his ego, right? So what ends up happening is the band ends up writing better music for his lyrics than he writes lyrics for their music. Uh, and this is a great <laughs> example of that. And I think this is what ends up getting duplicated in Under the Bridge. And um, later on, when we get to Californication, um, you know, but so that's a little bit of that formula, that lighter with, uh, sound where that ends up getting louder and, and like you know they, they kind of do that waving motion in terms of uh, uh, quiet and then loud, quiet and then loud uh, and back and forth, that kind of thing. Um, but you know, mixed in with kind of that red hot chili pepper sound. It, it's interesting though, because this is really where we see that the red hot chili peppers have kind of two signature sounds and it, they blend together on this record because there's a good balance of funk to, to this kind of more soulful song um, so it's interesting because usually it's easy to define a band period. Here we see, you know, really the, the beginning or the end of that funk period and the beginning of that, that modern Red Hot Chili Peppers. If you take out the Dave Navarro hunk of shit one hot minute um, <laughs> and, you, and you look at their career without that, you really see this arc much better because um, that thing's just a, a speed bump. So to what Frank said, yeah, this is a, this is a classic. It's one of the better songs on the record. Um, it totally has a real emotion to it. Uh, the band is really on point here. And, um, you know, it's it's too bad that they beat this to death in Californication and and they're on. But yeah, and it's funny, you know, it's funny you mentioned David Navarro real quick because I was thinking about him as uh, you were talking about Fashanti. And, and when I was looking at live performances, too, I just turned on with Navarro and, and just such a 
it did match. It nothing yeah. meshed well there at all. He was not the right guitarist uh, for for that yeah. sound at all, and uh, it was it was just interesting. Yeah, anyway, we get song is kind of cool, but like, yeah, that's one song on the record, and really, it's not that cool. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and him playing the old songs, uh, it just it didn't work because they're you know, mm. so signature to Frashanti. Anyway, Funky Monks is track four. There's an interview with Frashanti and Kiedis, uh, and the person's asking them, I want to say it's in the UK, I can't remember off the top of my head, but about the length of the album and telling them that he didn't like the song. They got legit offended, and uh, they, uh, Frashanti especially, saying that he needs to listen to it again because they put their heart into it, uh, so that means it's good. Well, here's the thing. everything, Everyone registers these things, especially music, differently. Uh, I think it's totally more... Uh, then acceptable when someone interviewing them say he may not like and dig this this song when a song enters his brain and it, you know it's going to affect our cognitive understanding and overall feeling differently every it's it's just gonna be different for everyone different for you mark different for me and so forth uh there may be a particular thing in the song that just didn't evoke emotion therefore uh not resonating my point is in essence i agree with the interviewer <laughs> the song to me is completely boring it's like a drive across florida's alligator alley going at a steady 60 Ugh. track five suck my kiss Ooh, Mark. Yeah, I finally get to be offended, Frank. Uh, not really. I mean, it's, as far as this era of, uh, of Chili Peppers, this is what people expected. If anything, uh, this is a, a less spicy Chili Pepper than what they had previously known. <laughs> uh, my kiss, because we haven't really talked about sex much, and those previous albums were fucking sex-laden. Um, but yeah, this is kind of Anthony Kiedis was and probably still is a sex addict, so... So here's, there's not a ton of surprise here. He was very open about it. He was openly trying to deal with it. Um, and it made him a ton of fucking money. Um, but, you know, people knew what this was. It was very much the name of this record. It was very much what was going on. And this was a huge hit. Um, you know, Flea's bass is funky. Chad is just driving this with those drums all the way through. Just really cool track. Um, I dig it. It still holds up for me, this particular song, you know. Um, you know, there is that weird guitar solo that sounds like he's playing it through a trash can. And that that's just kind of mad to me. Like, it just sounds kind of it, it, just, it sounds like garbage, that guitar solo. But the rest of the songs, it's kind of cool. I don't know. The more I'm thinking about it, the less I like it. <laughs> so as Mark said, you know, this is the sex and the blood sugar sex magic title. It permeates of that vibe. I'd like the heavy vibe during the verses of the guitar and the bass, and there is more melody in this song during the verses, which it's why it's a single and why it stands out. Uh, it's been a while since I'd listened to it, so I did though enjoy it going back and and listening to it. So, so for me, this was this was a track that I uh, I dug. Nice, um, you know, I could have lied. Is the name of the next track? <laughs> um, you know, we're kind of back to that poetry of funk thing. Um, this could have been this really to me if you had made this uh, a 30 second interlude where it's just kind of him doing these lyrics over that opening guitar part this song would have been amazing um, yeah it's just a little strange because the song never really picks up it just kind of continues for like two and a half minutes and you're like dude what the fuck do something <laughs> um, and it just doesn't you know it's it, it works in a way but you know it's at four minutes, it, it's just a bit too bloated for what should be just this simple, poignant little piece. They they just, yeah. Sometimes simplicity reigns supreme, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so we have Mellish, Linky, and B major. Uh, this is a mellow tune in, guess what, B major. Uh, and again, has a signature sound of the funk rap rock. Uh, the high point of the song is the guitar work. Uh, again, great tones and solo. The low point. It's it's the rest of it. I, I hate to be that person, but I was personally just waiting for this song to end. Yeah. Yeah. Track eight, The Righteous and the Wicked. Uh, I'm surprised this one wasn't a single uh, as well. Uh, it's got a good funk to it, and the bass and guitar are, are actually really well balanced sonically. Uh, you can hear them both really clearly. Um, you know, compared to those other funk songs where we talked about earlier, it, you know, you get the point. Um, you know, the shared chorus between Fashante and Anthony Kiedis sounds really cool where you have Fashante singing one part and then Kiedis coming in almost the next line later. Um, it, it's a really cool effect. It, it really works. I, I think this could have been a great single. 
um, you know, positive message for a song overall. Um, you know, that 91, 92 error, I, I don't know why this wouldn't have worked as a single, but, um, you know, it is what it is. One of those, like I said, the, the gems in the track that are just kind of tucked away, this to me is one of those. This, and I think you may agree with me on this, Frank, when it comes to subject matter, the opening track, um, which name is completely skipping uh, here. The Power of Equality. The Power of Equality, thank you. Thematically, these two are, are, are pretty similar. I think The Righteous yes. and the Wicked does a better job of being a song and, and less of being kind of like a white guy protest song about equality. I right. I really want to speak on it, but that was my opinion. So. <laughs> and what you're trying to say is The Righteous and the, the Wicked does a better job of uh, of really universally getting that out. So. Correct. Yes, that's that's what I was trying to say. Sure, sure. Said it to me. I got and, and I understood it. See, see. <laughs> yes. Next, we got "Give It Away." I mean, this Ooh. was the lead single, uh, written by Flea and Fashanti as a jam session. Uh, this song was everywhere. I liked it then. I still do. Uh, much like the big singles from from this album, it suffers from being overplayed. Uh, however, it shows that the band can do these style songs and have them stick out from the rest of the pack to become really memorable, which begs the question, why wasn't this happening more? Yeah, I still think this is a, a really cool track. Uh, Kita said that uh, he wrote these lyrics because of the lifestyle he was living, um, which was to just like throw out his possessions and, and literally just give his stuff away. Um, it makes you wonder if he was off heroin at this point since he didn't sell it all for smack. Anyways, um, yeah, I love that kind of, there's that backwards guitar solo. Yes. Which yes. It, it, it's super fucking cool. Um, it's probably the best solo on the album, which is kind of weird because it's backwards. Um, please revisit our episode uh, where we did our top 10 on Weird Al and revisit his rendition of this song, uh, Yabba Dabba Do Now. Um, yeah, so good. It's so good. Uh, but no, I, I'm, I'm with you on this one. It, it still holds up. It's still, you know, the defining uh, track of this early period Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, it's it's super cool. It's It still sounds great. It's it, I think this is probably the reason Flea has the um, the bass player status that he does because he's just so damn good. Point. Good point. Um, you know, th this to me is 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 one of the the high points truly in their career. Um, and it it's doing a lot of lifting for the rest of this record. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah great. That's a great way to put it. And track ten, we get the the title track, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. So again, more of the sex aspect here. Again, there's a build up to. <laughs> Musically, there's a build up to a climax here on the on the chorus. <laughs> the heavy, riff, yeah, the the really heavy riff. It get it gets almost into that grungy alternative sound that was the thing then. So I'm glad to see mm -hmm. that mashup of what was going on at that time into their style. This song to me stands out as it's not just one of their run of the mill branded funky rock songs. So listening to this loud, I enjoyed it, my man. Yeah, I, I'm just going to comment on that real quick before we get into Under the Bridge. I agree with you. Um, this song, this is, again, one of those ones. There's some really great gems hidden on this record. And yeah. surprisingly, Blood Sugar Sex Magic is among them. Yeah. Um, so we get we get to easily one of their biggest songs. And the, again, one of the tent poles of this album, just doing a ton of lifting here, Under the Bridge, Track 11. Um, there's kind of a cool story. Uh, I'm sure most people know this about Rick Rubin finding this poem uh, Anthony Kiedis wrote during the recording sessions, but wasn't too embarrassed to show it to the rest of the band. Uh, Rubin then made him sing it to the band. I mean, chances are he probably just like read it to them, but I love that like all the research says that he made him sing it. Anyways, uh, the band loved it and they started working on it the next day. And, you know, like, as they say, the rest is history. The song fucking rules. Yeah, I mean, what else can be said that hasn't been said about the song? It's a legendary guitar intro, uh, legendary song in general, legendary video. Um, this is, I would say, if I had to bet money on, this is the song that they're best known for. Again, at times it got suffered for being overplayed. It's classic. It holds up. You go to any guitar teacher, they're gonna, it's gonna be in their top five songs that they teach you in the beginning, uh, as far as their chord progression goes. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of people are are really into this song from a guitar standpoint because they love that intro and love the tone. You know, it's classic. It holds up. It's good. Um, 12 is Naked 
in the rain, Mark. Mm. In the rain. Yeah, I'm talking about the rain. Are you, our viewers on YouTube know that I'm naked right now. <laughs> our listeners listen to the podcast that don't know that I'm like fully nude, covered in whipped cream right now. That's so right. We'll have, to, we'll have to tune in to find out. <laughs> totally talking about their connection with nature here. Uh, although it's funky, we do get some distortion in the guitars that gives it that edge and, and a noisy rock type of way. Uh, it's steady paced uh, for the four and a half minutes, uh, which almost seems like what this song, the intent was uh, maybe for more, for more jamming purposes. Maybe that's why I, I'm trying to say is why it gets to that point. Uh, I do like it more than some of the previous non-single tracks I talked about thus far. So Naked in the Rain was definitely not a bad track. Nice. Uh, at track 13, Apache Rose Peacock. Peacock. Um, if you're wondering what I hate most about this song, uh, let me help you out. <laughs> uh, part of it is the stupid lyrics with matching dumbass rhyme scheme. Um, I wonder if he knows that the peacock with the bright colors are the dudes of peacocks. Um, or if this is a, a real chick, then I wonder if she knows this little peacock detail. I don't know. I, I don't know why a woman would name herself that uh, without being um, transgender. That doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, although they do suggest that perhaps a little bit at the end, but who knows? Um, you know, musically, we're back to that funky bass, uh, the drums that kind of drowned out the guitar that kind of drowned out the bass. Um, you know, we've heard so many times on this record already. Fashante gets uh, heavy with the guitar tone here um, at the end of the song, almost because he's trying to look for something else to do. I don't know. It, like, it just does this weird change at the end. It doesn't make sense. I know it sounds um, like he hated having to to be there on this song, and and I hated listening to it. So um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It, it 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 the end of that song really throws me off the, lyrically. That I mean, it's just a weird thing about his ego and banging chicks. So it it just kind of it's a creepy song. I, I, I'm trying to be forgiving because he's open about his issues and and doing his best to uh, you know to be a, to be a good dude about it. Uh, considering his illness, but it, it, it's just difficult sometimes to put up with it this much. Um, that's how I feel about the the song Apache Rose Peacock, Frank. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean you have to like the song, even though right. you know they may, may they may <laughs> you may be uh, forgiving because you again we intake the music, and uh, if it doesn't and sound this like it doesn't... so goddamn long at this point already. Yeah, absolutely. So track fourteen, the mm -hmm. greeting. The greeting song in Kiedis' autobiography, he says he hates this song. The lyrics, and the overall vocals, he doesn't like. <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree here. Perfect example of overstuffing an album. Uh, this track could have totally been left off and not shown the light of day. And it, it would have been fine with me and I'm sure everyone out there. So mm -hmm. the greeting song, Mark. Yeah, track 15, My Lovely Man. Um, fuck this dude and his shit fucking rhyme schemes. Seriously, um, this track is supposed to be about uh, excuse, a tribute to, to Hillel um, Slovak, the, the previous guitar player who died of a heroin overdose. Um, it, it just doesn't have a, any heart. Um, it, it feels very, very forced. Um, I don't feel like he wanted to write this song. Um, I like the, the, the drive and the aggression um, the song carries musically. Um, which is weird for a song about your friend who died of a heroin overdose. But, you know, I didn't know him. I guess you did. Um, and maybe, I mean, but maybe that's like a tribute to his sound and his style, even though those previous records with him are much funkier than this kind of heavier sound. Um, you know, this thing is just so chocked with that terrible rhyme screen, rhyme scheme, excuse me, that it's, it's just so hard to understand what it is he's trying to be to reminisce other than saying that he was a lovely man. I, I just like, oh, he was a lovely man. Sounds like something you say about somebody you were told that you knew, you know, or like an uncle who died that you hadn't seen in 25 years. Yeah, he was a lovely man. I don't <laughs> like it, it, you know, and uh, on top of that, the, the song's otherwise pretty forgettable. And I feel like for somebody who was such a major part of his life, this is a terrible tribute. Yeah. Two words that are uh, rating consistent here is thus far is pretty forgettable right <laughs> so <sighs> track 16 sir psycho 
Sexy. Okay. So in this uh, alternate track lottery, Mark, I drew the eight minute song. Man. All right. At this point in the album, uh, I don't think this makes a, a, an impact. And I personally don't see many true music fans uh, for or Chili Pepper fans being like, oh, yeah, today I think I want to listen to Sir Psycho Sexy. I could be wrong. I mean, tell me if you're wrong. That's cool. I got thick skin. Uh, but man, this does nothing for me. Uh, I'm not going to get into the content. We all could figure out what that's about, of course. Uh, Kitas and, and his, his sexual addictions there. I don't even think I blinked once during these eight minutes. Uh, I mean, it keeps with that sex theme, but I'm immune to any impact by this song at all, forever. Yeah. And ever. You know, yeah. Yeah. Real quick, um, what I think this song is supposed to be, right? Obviously, the the, the character for Psychosexy is simply his ego personified, right? Um, Correct. But, but musically, this this song is a tribute to Parliament Funkadelic, to you know those those great funk bands of the '70s that kind of really did these over the top numbers um, in a in a very heavy funky way. And this this song, the only credit it gets because everything is wrong with it from its length too but musically when if you get a two minute chunk of that funk riff that's what it's supposed to be it just it it murdered frank because it's eight minutes long and just way too unnecessary with the lyrics sorry my insides were done after all that (laughs) yeah you know i just wanted to i just wanted to chime in on the on that oh no thank you please thank you Um, so, uh, track 17 and thank God the final track, <laughs> this record's an hour and 17 minutes. Oh my God. Um, uh, they're red hot and they're red uh, hot on the fr- flip side of Frank's lottery loss. Uh, I got the one minute joke song. Um, <laughs> it was originally written by the legend, uh, Robert Johnson. Um, and I think it's cool that they did a Robert Johnson number. Sure. However, uh, I just wish it hadn't been this track. It's um, and not that like it, it shouldn't have been this track. It's it's kind of clear they picked it for the name, but like whatever. It's it's about a tall girl selling hot tamales. Uh, it's done in the Dixieland shuffle, and you know it's a minute neither you or I will ever get back. So they're red hot. You know, Woo! it's kind of that joke ending to a to an album for some reason. I, I mean, you know, hey, look, this song was all about having or this album is supposed to be about having fun. Why not end up with a little, little joke? Um, so that wraps up the old track by track. Yeah. Frank, you want to give our listeners your, your final thoughts on blood sugar, sex, magic with a K, uh, and, you know, on the whole, and uh, what your rating for this bad mama jamma would be. So, Mark, I thought long and hard about this. Uh, and and like I said before, you really brought up a, a tough thing to do, which is separate where we were in life feeling versus is this actually good? Now, I, I have said time and time again that I am not the just the singles or hits type of guy when it comes to a band. But right here, right now, we, we are going to see that I stand corrected. That's right. I, I, I feel for this band uh, that I am uh, and able to enjoy the hits of the singles. The, that's that's what I feel, I think, about this band. I struggled getting into the rest of the album. Was it the length? Perhaps. Was it the fact that the majority of the songs had a similar vibe? Perhaps. Am I saying that these songs are, are like subpar? Not at all. They just left me wanting more. Actually wanting more of the sound that I heard in the singles. Uh, now, there are some prototypes here that would eventually become their sound in years to come. And that's the subject for another conversation. But for me, this, this album, I feel... Uh, you have a mix of classic and legendary tunes that have aged well to be mixed with some funky rock tunes that are kind of fun and then full of great musicianship and then some unmemorable tunes that just should have never been on the album. Absolutely not. So listen, as a whole, I give this thing a six or a seven, uh, which I'll probably get destroyed uh, for doing, but that's my ranking on it. What about you, Mark? Yeah, I'm with you on this one, dude. Uh, Hard six. uh, Fuck people who think otherwise. Uh, the hits are good to great. Um, give it away and under the bridge, really leading that charge of, of just how good the Red Hot Chili Peppers can be. However, there is so much failure here that it's it's no surprise that this is considered one of the best albums of the 90s because um, mainstream and alternative rock was rife with albums that only had three or four singles, which were the good songs. Um, 
two which were maybe really good and the rest of the album was shit um <laughs> this is that personified if you doubt my theory honestly look back at smashing pumpkins melancholy and sadness uh because billy corgan can go fuck himself that album sucks it's a double album full of filler uh and this is a uh, the exact same thing there's a ton of filler couple great songs um and then the rest is just who could care um it, it just didn't hold up for me frank you know it's 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 weird because i i put that that nostalgia aside although i i will tell you that first re-listen i was on a nostalgia high i was into it i was having a sure. great time and then i sat down with it sat down with a pad and a piece of paper and i was listening reality to reality came in huh then you're just like oh man it does sound great loud, loud as fuck, though. You're right. It does. Yeah. yeah. Some tunes, absolutely. And Mark, yeah. was, it, was it you that mentioned about Flea wanting to play less on this album? Yeah, it, it's one of the wildest things about this record is that, that Flea was quoted as saying he realized in, during the recording process that this album was different from the band's previous work mm-hmm. and that he needed to play less notes. He, he just needed to not play so damn much. Um he found that by playing less, it left more room for the rest of the band and the songs to grow around him. Um, a wild concept when you consider people only think of him as the funkiest bass-thumping dude of his generation, which is probably fair, and that this is their seminal work. I don't think most people know how funky and how overdriven his bass was on those early records. Um, as you can tell, it's it's impossible to talk about uh, the music of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and not talk about Flea and yes. his importance uh, or his impact, excuse me, on their music and countless bass players who were inspired by his playing. Uh, so Frank uh, and I thought we'd talk about, man, reading is fun tonight. So Frank and I thought <laughs> we'd talk about some of the really awesome bass players that have inspired us with their playing over the years. Uh, for this purpose, uh, we're sparing um, the... Or excuse me, we're spreading the love all around and we'll leave Flea off the list. Although for me, uh, he was an influence when it came uh, to me learning how to start playing music. Uh, I really dug what he did. So Frank, why don't you kick us off the official check out this bass player top 10 list? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, Flea also definitely am not going to doubt any of the influence or even as a guitar player from Frushanti as well. Uh, you know, I, I think they really are phenomenal musicians. I'm not taking that away um but you know we did do our top 10 bass player um list here uh, a lot of these are probably common names that everyone would have on their list and there's going to be some oh. mark and frank sprinkled in these mine aren't in a particular order but i'm going to say this once mark gets to number one it's unanimous as far as a favorite uh, and uh and what we feel is probably one of the the best out there but anyway my first one will alternate is uh lee rocker from the stray cats uh this is the first guy i really saw play the stand-up bass to where i noticed the power of the slap bass i love that sound and what it does and rocker really is a force in the rockabilly world that's hard to do um lee rocker from the stray cats to me is in my on my list what a great name lee rocker yeah so my uh my first pick here um Donald Duck Dunn. Oh, uh, love him. This, yeah, this is a selfish pick. You know, uh, Triple D, as Frank and I know him, uh, is famous for smoking a pipe and being a bass player uh, in the Blues Brother and, of course, uh, Saturday, Night, Saturday Night Live. Jeepers, I really can't read tonight. Um, you know, um, look, this, this dude was a straight-up blues bass player. Um, it could be easy to dismiss him as just another session player, but he, he really held it down. Uh, great dude that he's got done a lot of work in a bunch of different blues bands. Uh, great dude. And and if I may quote him real quick, if the shit fits, wear it. <laughs> and, and I mean, just everything that he did in the blues brothers too, was just fantastic. And of course playing with the pipe in his mouth the whole time. Um, he was awesome. Donald mm-hmm. Duck Dunn. And his name was Donald Duck Dunn. I mean, that's it. Z, baby. That's it. That's it. All right. Next on my list is uh, Cliff Burton Metallica. Check out our Metallica episode for more on Burton. He was a driving force uh, into what Metallica was doing. He introduced the band really to musical theory and classical style and uh, what you eventually heard in tracks like Fade to Black, um, Welcome Home, Santarium. And of course, after his his death, one, uh, I don't think the band emotionally has ever 
and will ever get over a loss like that. Uh, the guy was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, used reverb and distortion when he played to um, the guy was just awesome. So Cliff Burton, Metallica. Yeah. It, I think James said that he got them into everything from Bach to the misfits. Like how fucking cool is that? That's amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, Cliff Burton's a legend. Um, one of my, my next pick is going to be uh, Timothy Comerford. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to, um, who tell me uh, I'm fucking nuts for picking Tim Comerford um, over the dude from Rush. I, I fuck that guy. Um, uh, Timmy, because uh, I don't feel like saying his full name, was the bass player for Rage Against the Machine uh, and that shitty band Audio Slave. But nevertheless, uh, he was instrumental in creating that fat rhythm section um, that allowed Tom Morello uh, to turn his guitar into a DJ uh, turntable and shit. Pretty cool. Um, you know, but he really used his bass to play the melody and courses of songs so that the gar- guitar could go do whatever he wanted. He really held it down. Uh, Tim and, and Brad Wilkes, the drummer, are one of the most underrated rhythm sections um, in, in rock and roll and heavy metal um, just because they were so constant, so clean, so determined. The, the bass never quit. He drove a ton with it. Um, the dude's super underrated. Even the audio slave stuff, he's good. It's, it's a <laughs> sound garden I hate. Great. I mean, they sound great live together, and those songs are not yeah. easy to duplicate at all live. So, number three, we spoke about him last episode, Sir Paul McCartney. Uh, you know, listen, he's a great musician, he has the natural ability to pick up any instrument and play it at a high level and his bass playing obviously was no different at all so again paul mccartney he's on my list yeah the king of uh keeping it simple and and steady paul's awesome that's it absolutely awesome a a similar guy to paul um but a little bit more flamboyant uh my next choice is bootsy collins bootsy collins Uh, this dude partied so hard that james brown kicked him out of his band um, and then took the bass he gave him back. Um, <laughs> he then would go on to join the Parliament Funkadelic and push the possibilities of what uh, a bass player could add to music. Dude is truly a legend. He's uh, a phenomenal bass player. His solo records are actually really cool. They're, they're a little out there, but they're totally fun. Um, I mean, he, he's just an absolute legend. Um, and if you ever get a chance to see him live, which I have, uh, do it because it's fucking unbelievable yeah the basses he, he um <laughs> he plays are just they're, they're so over the yeah, top they're so awesome <laughs> all custom made star bases those things are cool man yeah yeah those are pretty awesome um next on my list is les claypool listen mm-hmm. i'm not the biggest primus fan um nor do i know the most about him other than he's a freak of nature with that bass i mean i've watched many video clips of him just wailing away on that thing i mean the, the man's abilities are really that of someone not from planet earth and what he's able to do with that we'll probably need to do a deeper dive into primus i get it everyone but les claypool is a freak with that base we totally can do that and did we talk about uh i know that we talked about him trying out for metallica yeah did i tell you about him growing up with kurt hammett like on the same street oh yeah wait i think did we go through that i think i may have mentioned that i mean just could you imagine you live on that street and everybody's out playing football but Les Claypool and Kurt Hammett are like in their living room jamming. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, and even Metallica is like, listen, Les, you got to do your own thing. We can't, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. James can't do drugs like that anymore is the problem. <laughs> um, I don't know if he ever could do drugs like that. Anyways, <laughs> um, speaking of doing drugs, at number two, uh, a personal hero of mine for other reasons, um, Lemmy Kilmeister. Uh, one of rock and roll's most underrated songwriters and bass players, yeah. blurred the lines between rock and roll, heavy metal, and punk rock, making it cool as fuck to listen to all three. Um, pull up some live footage and watch him hold it the fuck down. He oh, took yeah. playing super seriously, uh, and whenever getting on stage with other bands, he would plug in with them um, and play along and sing because he was an awesome bass player and he held those lines down. Um, I know you know Ace of Spades, totally rules. But check out some of those early Ots albums because um, they they secretly fucking rule, um, and they shouldn't. Uh, it doesn't need to be a secret anymore. 
late or all Motorhead kicks ass, but that those 2000 records that they put out, the ones, the, the backhand right before he passed away, there's some really cool shit in there. Uh, totally worth seeing. Follow me on Instagram because I'm constantly just posting it. Um, if you want to, you don't have to, it's fine. Um, and I think that's, that's all I got to say about Lemmy. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, buddy. It's all about the game and how you play it, man. Hell yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, number one on my list, but not number one for me, but it's just how I happened to have a list was, uh, mm-hmm. is peanut. So a- Aaron peanut Willis from three eleven. Are you still debate- Christian name, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I used to debate a lot with friends, uh, saying that peanut was better than flea. Both had this funk slap style going on. Um, but what I thought peanut was able to do is go outside that box and be a little bit more diverse with his playing. Uh, his playing listen is really remarkable in three eleven's first, uh, two albums, music and grass new, grassroots, excuse me. And on a side note, I think if you want some funk rock with more diverse sounds, edge, and great songwriting, because uh, we've been talking about funk rock right throughout this episode, uh, check out those first two albums. Um, they they may fill up your soul maybe a little bit more than um, the barren sound from the Chili Peppers. So that was number one on my list, but not my real number one because Mark has the number one for us all. Go ahead, pal. I love that super quiet dig of the chili peppers do. That was amazing. Um, <laughs> so number one, Frank and I agreed unanimously. We, we, we talked, but we had, we sat down and had a conversation about this. We did. We did. Uh, Matt Freeman of Rancid. Uh, yeah. That's Hands right. down. A, a punk uh, at number one. Um, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Matt Freeman fucking rules. Um, put on Rancid 2000 and let him melt your fucking face with the way he blisters up and down the fretboard uh, and keeps the whole album rocketing down your ear hole like a Tokyo bullet train. Fucking dude rules. No bullshit fills uh, or filler, just just blistering, amazing bass. Um, it's not just about speed. The notes are right. The solos are insane. The the tone is perfect. Um, I, if I I'm stuttering, I'm so just like worked up about Matt Freeman. I was listening to Rancid 2000 before we did this and confirmed everything I just said. This thing, he totally rules. Um, if I were to learn how to play bass, uh, I don't know about you, Frank, I'd pick up that Matt Freeman signature bass. Oh yeah, totally. And Rancid 2000, as if you listen to our Rancid episode, you would know that that's my favorite Rancid episode, uh, album. Anyway, when I first got into Rancid and was just enamored by Lars and Tim in general, Mm -hmm. uh, someone told me, Hey, listen, you have to, I know you're not a bass player right now, but you have to check out Matt Freeman's bass playing. It is out of this world. And man, they weren't lying. What he does at the speed and the velocity that he's able to do it. Plus, he puts in some distortion. He plays chords up the neck, too. He does all these things, and he's relentless. He doesn't stop. When Lars, when I, I say Lars isn't playing guitar, because he's really kind of the only guitarist in Rancid. When he's not playing guitar, Freeman is doing so much. Watch them live. Uh, there's lots of YouTube stuff out there with Matt playing the bass in general. Um Listen to Rancid 2000. That thing is is unbelievable, as is a Rancid album with his bass yeah. playing. To me, he's our personal number one, um, and we do think he's just the best. So, um, wow, Mark, that's how you make a mother flipping list, my man. <laughs> it sure is, Frank. Uh, that was a fun one. Um, what? Are, well, wait a minute. Hold on. I forgot. We were going to add something, and I forgot to add it into the script. This is totally on me. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna nudge it back to red hot chili peppers for one second (laughs) i want to play a game with you we're going to try to keep this going uh through all the records we do when there is a title track does the title track hold up that's right does it accurately represent the album if not what album or what track do you think should have been the title track looking back at this album Mm -hmm. i think the title fits appropriately because I think there's all those elements that, that are represented, uh, especially the sex part, obviously, um, you know, obviously I think the way you interpret blood and sugar and magic, it's all up to the individual, but yeah, absolutely. I think it fits. I think the title track fits. I think it fits with the overall tone of the album. Um, it makes sense to me. What about you? I, I agree with you. This is, this is a great example of that's the right that song represents the album as a whole and the, the, the title works for the album because it does represent everything. Yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. a cool track. 
So that, that didn't hurt. I think if you call this under the bridge, there's a lot of like, what the fuck is going on under that bridge? Um, if you call give it away, well, maybe give it away works. Um, yes. But I think Blood Sugar Sex Magic has has a genesis qua has yeah. a yeah you know that 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 blends well with this album so we'll we'll try to work that into the album reviews when applicable uh thank you for putting up with me now what i was uh what i was gonna say is uh what uh what are we up to next week <laughs> sure and real quick too let's not forget that michael peter bazari who's flea by the way was also oh. yeah yeah i know right was also douglas j needles in back to the future that's right Fun fact. Fun fact. So let's not forget that, folks. Anyway, next week, Mark, we are uh, jumping into my phone booth, not yours, mine. And we're going to be taking a trip to Birmingham, 1971, for a Black Sabbath classic, Master of Reality. Yes! Uh, That was really loud. I'm sorry. Uh, I haven't been shy about my love for for Black Sabbath. I'm I'm so happy we're going to jump into one of my favorites of the Aussie era, um, how familiar are familiar? English is apparently very difficult on top of reading. Uh, are you? Uh, how familiar are you with this record, Frank? So I'm not gonna lie, I'm not familiar with it. I want to listen to more Sabbath. I wanted back in the day to listen to more Sabbath, but it's just one of those things that haven't had a chance in such a busy world and schedule and all that stuff to sit down and really take it in. So I'm excited because uh, it, it's. Most of this is going to be due to my ears. I'll probably have heard some in the past, but um, I'm I'm really excited about this, Mark. So, um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. That's and it's the and it's 71, right? So it's an end. It was it 41 years, right? Yep. Or no, no, 51 years. Sorry, <laughs> I made myself wrong. 51 years. Uh, that's crazy. Holy cow! Think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this thing's older than both of us. Fortunately, yeah. not combined. No. Um, no, unfortunately, not combined. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Fifty uh, years. I'm, I'm Fifty super years. Excited about this one. Uh, it'll be a good time. We're going to talk about. You know, I'm sure we'll get into some Aussie shenanigans. Uh, oh, I'm we'll sure. Have, we'll, we'll have we'll have a fun little episode lined up for you guys because uh, Sabbath rules. Uh, I'm stoked that Frank finally wants to dive into this a little bit more with me. Yes. Is anything I do. you want to say to our listeners? If I had to do a parting word, I would say, "Ciao." Oh, bye-bye.